Well, good morning, family. Today, we're going to talk about a subject that I think no one, no one should not understand. This is so important that we understand. This is, we're talking about how does, how does faith work? And uh, in the world that we live in, I can't think of anything that, that would uh, be more important to prepare us for the times that we live in than understanding how faith works and, uh, and in the scripture. Because there's such a misunderstanding of faith today. It's actually thrown around a lot, the word faith, and, uh, and thrown around by those who um, would not really understand what the, the biblical foundation or understanding of faith is. So today we're just going to be talking about this the two elements of faith. And I'm in Romans chapter 4 is where we're going to be. And um, in Romans 4, the, the foundation principle, there's two actually, but the, the one that, that is actually predominant is the understanding of salvation is, by, is through faith, by grace, through faith, that salvation comes. And, and so that element, we're going to talk about that, but then there's a broader aspect of faith and how it operates in our life on a daily basis, the kind of faith that produces miracles, the kind of faith that attaches itself to God's word and its promises and produces outcomes that, um, that cannot be produced any other way. And so that's where we're going today. And we're in Romans chapter 4, and I'm going to be starting off in verse 1, then we're going to jump down to verse 13. So um, in verse 1 it says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? <clears throat> if Abraham was justified, sometimes we, we understand justified as just, just as if we'd never sinned. We're just in the sight of God. If he was justified by works, if he could do things that would justify him, then he has something to boast about. And that would be true of any of us. That's why the Bible says it's by faith that, that no one would boast, that, that no one's going to get to heaven and say, you know, that's a pretty good person. You have to understand. I, I did a lot. I, did a lot. I had that bumper sticker, you know, that says, uh, you know, honk if you love Jesus. I, I, I did a lot for God. And uh, no one's going to ever get there and, and really think or be able to even in any way take any credit for having made it to heaven. Um, it will simply be by grace. And he says, so if anyone could boast, I mean, probably Abraham would be a person who could do some boasting. And yet it says he couldn't boast, not before God. Anyhow, he couldn't boast. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, Abraham, he, he, this scripture is foundational to our, our understanding of, uh, of salvation. It's foundational. In fact, it was Martin Luther who, who attached his, uh, you know, his, his whole doctrinal uh, understanding of salvation by faith through this portion of scripture. It's, it's an important, very important to us portion of scripture. And it's important not only because it declares Abraham righteous and how he gets righteous, but it's not only, it's not only what, he, what is the byproduct of his faith, but it's actually the timing of all this. It's important to understand when he was declared righteous. Now, what he's doing is he's quoting from um, the 15th chapter of the book of Genesis. And uh, there was a covenant made by God with Abraham. And some of you would recall that. God made a covenant. It was a blood covenant that actually Abraham was asleep while God was making the covenant. God was doing it. It was, it was totally God-generated covenant. And Abraham was just a recipient of the covenant that God was making for him. And he was making this covenant that he would be the father of many nations. He would, he would be, um, there, there was, uh, in chapter 12, there's a whole litany of things that God said would happen to, 
through Abraham and to Abraham that he would be blessed and those who blessed him would be blessed and, and, uh, and a promise of land occupation uh, uh, that, that would come. All of that was taking place. And the scripture says in chapter 15 that this, this is what Paul is quoting when he says God, that Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. Now the timing of it was extremely important. It, it's, it was spoken to Abraham 400 years before the law was given, the Old Testament covenant, for the, the, the first covenant through Moses. Way in advance before God gave the Ten Commandments and so forth. That's one thing. Abraham was, was, was found righteous with God. But not only that, it was prior to, actually 17 years prior to, Abraham fulfilling the, the, the responsibility to be circumcised. And, of course, then the Jewish nation under that uh, to be th that uh, sign of their stand with God. So he's declared righteous before he does anything of those kinds of things of action. So what did it? And the scripture says that he believed God. It was his faith in God. Now what did he believe? He believed what God had said. That was the point. It's not just that he believed in God. People will say that I believe in God. But it's not that he just believed in God. He believed God. And that's the difference. Because there is something to believe. And God gave him some things to believe. He gave him some promises. And he believed those promises. We have been given a promise. And it's a promise that we are responsible for declaring wherever we are. It's, the, it's called the good news. It's the gospel of salvation. It's, it's a promise that God has given to us. That if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That, that the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, that this is what we stand, this is what we hold to, this is what we believe. And so, because we believe of the work of Christ on the cross for us, his death, burial, and resurrection, we attach our faith to that. We also are declared righteous. And there's a whole lot of other things that are added to that, being filled with the Spirit, God, you know, cleansing us from all of our sin, get, make, uh, adopting us into his family. All those things are attached to that. But the main point is simply that we believe God. And that's the means by which. And so Abraham believed. And he's making an argument for this salvation, not by works. And so he says in verse 4, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but of debt. In other words, someone who decides, you know what, I can, I can earn my way, I can be good enough, I can make, you know, I can make some real drastic uh, changes in my life or what have you, and I'm going to be a better person, or I can be a good person, or I've been a good person, and there's these things that I'm going to do. For the Jews, it would have been the, it would have been the Old Testament covenant, they would have looked at the the law of God, and they would have said, I'm obeying the law of God, and so I'm doing good. I'm earning my way. And Paul says, for those who are doing that, that it's not counted as something of a reward. You're not earning. See, your bank account is actually being depleted, not enhanced. That the wages of this the byproduct is debt. That you have, you're, you're going further and further and further in debt every day. A debt that you can never pay. It's already passed. You're already way past the possibility of ever paying that debt. And yet, <clears throat> and yet there is a gift from someone who has all the means of paying the debt for you. And in fact, he has paid the debt. And all you have to do is receive the debt that's been paid for by, by Jesus. So, so he continues on this pattern, and you can read and study that. But in verse 13, I want to pick it up. Because there's a, an attachment to here about faith in general. 
And it says, for the promise that we would be the heir of the world, that, that, that he would be the heir of the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So Abraham, the promise that God gave was not going to be received by the law. In fact, the law wasn't even given yet. Though Jews in those days believed that Abraham obeyed the law intuitively, though there's nothing in Scripture that even says that. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Now, how many, I'm not, I'm not going to ask for hands, but how many transgressed the law today when you were driving into church? <laughs> I won't admit to anything, especially if it's online. But right, there, there is a law, but, but what if there was no law? Then none of us transgressed the law. Now, obviously, none of us got caught, I hope, if we did. But, um, but the fact is that if there was no law, if there was no speed limit, then there's no transgression of the law. And that's what he's saying. Where there is no law, there's no transgression. But that doesn't mean we're not guilty. We're not guilty of that particularly. Romans, the, the, the first part of Romans, Romans chapter 1, it says that we all that we have, we're a law to ourselves because we, are, we all have a conscience that every one of us have crossed the line of, our own conscience. We've all gone past what our conscience would have agreed to. In fact, I think the first recognition of sin is when we passed our conscience already, we've already kind of made it dull because we've done whatever it was, you see, and then all of a sudden we're convicted. And that's the recognition of sin because it's before God. But we've transgressed our conscience. We did it growing up, you see. We, we did it when we said, that toy's mine. And uh, or whatever happened. The times then we said yes I, or no, I didn't do that. And uh, we've all transgressed both our conscience and God's, God's law. What, and, and we've all sinned. And so he says here in verse 16, Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Now, if it's by the law, and somehow you might have this idea that we, we're, we're graded on a curve, then all we have to do is make sure that we're better than 50%, I guess. So, you know, if half the people are worse than me, then I'm, a, I'm, I'm doing okay um, if that's the curve. Now, what if the curve's 95%? And only those who, pa only those who pass are in the, in, in the 5% uh, category. What, what if you, um, you know, you have to be better than 95%? What if it's 99 what if it's 99 and 9 tenths? What if only Billy Graham and Mother Teresa make it? Right? We, I mean, we have these, we don't know, when, you're, when you operate in the idea of works, there is no security at all. And that's what he says here. Um, there, there's no way for you to be sure. That, that the promise may be sure is by grace. It's not what you've done, it's what he has already done. That makes it that way. And so he says, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He's the father of faith. If you're going to look at somebody for faith, Abraham's a good starting point. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they, they do. A mouthful. He's, Abraham believed God. And one of the things God told him, the promise that he, he would be the father of many nations. And, and uh, in fact, in the 17th chapter, 
uh, God changed his name. We, we, I keep saying Abraham, but up until this time, he was just called Abram. And, and Abram means exalted father. But God changed his name and changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many, of, of multitudes. Father of multitudes. So he tells him, you're going to be a father of multitudes, and he calls him a father of multitudes before he has any children, right? So now he doesn't have the children that God has promised yet, but God has made that promise to him. And so what is he going to do? Well, he's going to operate in this realm of faith that I believe is a, is a way in which faith works in life. We hear God's promise. We see God offering something, and he says, this is the means by which you get it. It's very simple. There's usually a, 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 something that is part of the promise. There's a premise to the promise. The premise to salvation is that you believe, right? You believe that Jesus d died for your sins. He was buried and rose again. That's the premise to fulfilling the promise that God's death, burial, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is a payment for your sin, and you are saved by believing that. It's very simple, a simple process by which God has given a promise to Abraham. The promise was that he would not only, by the way, that seed, uh, the, the book of Galatians says it's not just his seed as many, but it's a seed of one, that out of Abraham would come the Messiah, come the Savior of the world. And so Abraham's believing that. Think of the conflict that could be going on at this point in Abraham's life, right? There, there's a conflict because it, God has already told him this more than once. And this conflict is going on in him. He's having to deal with his, his uh, doubts. Um, he's having to deal with the things that he sees in his own life. And now God is, you know, and, and God has told him, listen, you're not, you're not just Abram anymore, you're Abraham. Now, we use names, and most of the time we have no clue what the name means. You know, sometimes we'll look it up, maybe if we're going to name a child, you know, and uh, a baby, sometimes we want to see what that name means. But we never consider it, we never call them that with the idea. Like, the, someone's name could be faith, well, we know what faith is. But we don't call them faith as a, you know, as a, a, as a verb. We, we call them as, an, as a name. We don't say that they are, we don't use that, you know. So Abraham, though, in that day, when you call them by the name, the Hebrew name, it was, in fact, the designation. So they would see that and they'd say, Abraham, they would, they would say, they'd be saying, right, in their language, they would be saying, father of multitudes, so he was introducing himself. Now, now maybe there is, you know, uh, you could see this interaction going on with somebody, and uh, and he and he says uh, he he introduces, I'm the father of multitudes. Oh wow, how many kids do you have? Well, none. Oh, well, when does your wife do? She's not due. Oh. Oh, yeah. F father of multitudes. Isn't that embarrassing? I'm the father of multitudes. And yet he doesn't have a child, and yet he doesn't even, his, his wife isn't even, you know, ready to give birth. And worse than that, he's really old. You know, he's like 100 years old. So there's some problems that Abraham is having to face, and this is a, these are problems of faith. Because oftentimes, faith just simply looks impossible. Just the promise looks like it's, it can never happen. It says, so, who contrary to hope, I mean, what's the hope of a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman having a child? So, contrary to hope, in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. 
and not being weak in faith, did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, there's some translations actually say, um, did, instead of did not consider, but some say considered his, his own body. And either way, you come up with the same conclusion. And Abraham recognized or knowing that he's dead or didn't consider that as an issue to the problem. He went beyond it. He, be, he went beyond what nature would say was the natural order and that would happen and that he went beyond that in his faith. His faith attached itself to a promise far above what he could see in the natural. And, and because of that, he received the promise. The opposite is true. The op- that, that if an individual does not attach their faith to the promise above the problems that are facing us, then there's no guarantee that the promise will ever be fulfilled, that the miracle will ever happen. There's no guarantee of it. And I'm not saying that God can't do a miracle because sometimes God goes beyond all of our unbelief and doubt and everything and does stuff. But you can't count on it. And it's, un- it's more likely, far more likely, that it, as an individual attaches their faith to the promise, they're going to get the miracle that is coming. In fact, you can count on it. And that's the point that Abraham, he looked at, or he didn't, either way, he, he ignored it as being a factor in the, in the outcome, what was in the natural. And there's all kinds of promises in the Bible about that. Consider, you know, the, the, the Bible says that my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That's a promise that was given, given to the Philippian church based upon the fact that they had, themselves have been generous. They had been faithful in giving, and God made a promise to them, I'm going to p- provide all of your needs. You're going to be taken care of. You can count on it from me. Now, when... when the, you know, the, the economy went bad. And when things started going really downward, those who had attached their faith to the promise received the benefit of it because they went beyond looking at what was going on in the stock, stock market. You see? And instead put their trust in God who would provide for them and made a promise to them. And so they walked with that belief that my God has supplied and will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. That's how that operates in our life. And if you don't attach, see, God told the children of Israel, you're going to go into the promise that I'm I'm giving you a land full of milk and honey. It's yours. You're going to take it. I'm already given to you. Now go take what I've already given you. And two spies went in, looked at the land, came back and says, let's go for it. And 10 of them came back and says, there's giants. They're really big dudes in there. And I don't think we can handle that. I don't think that, that, I think they're going to, they're going to squish us. Like, you know, like, like we're, we're. We're fleas. They're, 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 they're going to they're just take, they're going to destroy us. The two got to see the promise. The 10, but because of the 10, not only did it delay the two from getting all that God had for them in a timely manner, but it actually stopped the entire rest of the nation that were in that, the, the adults, from ever getting in. Because they bought into the lie. They bought into the deception of living not by faith, but by only things that they could see. And the Bible says about us that we live by faith, not by sight. That doesn't mean we don't, that we ignore what's actually going on. I believe that Abraham knew. Don't you? He obviously did. Because there were some problems in, 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 the, in that process that um, that 
he actually made some decisions that you can tell that he was not totally, we'll get to that in a second, um, but he had, he, had to, he had to walk through that process. He had to walk through that thought, thinking that, and walking through that. Am I going to trust God's word? Am I going to trust what God says? Am I believing God? Or am I going to accept what my eyes totally see and only that? Now, I'm not saying we live in a dream world as Christians. I'm not saying that we walk around with our head above the clouds and we never see what's going on around us. And I'm not saying we're, we ignore the things that we see. I'm saying that when there is a promise that contradicts the things we see, a promise that we know is from God, then that promise take precedent over even the things we see. And that's how we walk in faith. I was in the hospital. Everything I saw, the doctor saying to me in front of my wife, <coughs> Your lungs are going to close down. We're going to put you on a, a ventilator. This was before COVID times. And, um, and you'll, you'll lose control. And um, we think you'll still live. And, but you'll have to relearn how to talk. You're going to have to relearn how to walk and how to do everything else. And, um, and when the doctor said that, I said, but God what? But God, he has the last word. You don't. I appreciate all that you're doing and all that you're trying to do and help, but God, because God has the last word and we live by the promises of God, not according to just simply what is the natural order of things? The natural order is interrupted by God frequently. All the time. God interrupts it. And he interrupts it for those who believe by faith. You see, the promise of God. Folks, I believe that we are entering into a season. In, we, we're seeing around us. We're seeing things change so much. We don't really can't seem to know what's coming down next, right? We're, we, we think we're on the other side of COVID, but then they're like, oh, yeah, but the next one's coming. You know, our economy, I'm, you know, people are at work. And, uh, man, have you been to the supermarket lately? You know, have you filled your car up with gas? Oh, uh, it's going to crash. It's all going to burn. It's all done. Or maybe not. Maybe it's getting better. And we live in this, this kind of roller coaster of, of life all around us. Change is happening at such a rapid pace. We can't even. Let me tell you what we need. We need the founding principles of God's word in our heart that we attach our faith to. That's what we need. I believe God has an economy that supersedes the economy we live in. And I believe God is able to take care of every single thing. And you know, I learned this early on in life. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the challenges when we had to stand on the promise of God just to eat. And I'll tell you, I remember when Carol and I, we had spaghetti for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for three days. Thankfully, we had that spaghetti. Top Mormon was next. And I remember we were like sick of it. And somehow our faith rose up and said, you know what, God hasn't promised this. Thank you, Lord, for the spaghetti, but I'm sick of it. And I'm Italian. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm used to spaghetti. But, and, and went, Lord. Um, and when I was praying, and we got a phone call. And uh, we hadn't told anybody. We, were, we, we, we had too much pride to tell people we couldn't get any food. So we didn't tell anybody. Everybody thought we're fine. But literally, her mom, it's dinner time, and her, Carol's mom calls up and says, you know what, we just cooked a steak dinner. Some friends called us and invited us out to eat. 
would you guys like it? I, we, I don't. I, let's think about that, yes. Remember another time when we were without groceries and groceries landed on our porch. We opened the door and they were just there. They come from heaven. I, I don't think they came from heaven. I think somebody God spoke to and said, go send, take some groceries and put it. Carol remembers in her family, you know. See, people think pastors always kind of, you know, they're the ones that have the jets and the, and the you know, the, the high flute. I'm, I'm not even going to name the, you know, they, they do drive the Ferraris and all that. There are a couple, I question them, but they're not, that's not the majority of how it works. And uh, Carol's parents, they, she was pastor, they were pastors, and uh, she recalls when they were sitting at the table and there's no food, and the plates are already on the table with the, f with the utensils, and they asked mom, mom, where's, where's, what are we eating? And she said, well, we're praying, and God's going to bring the food. You know, when you go through that, and by the way, yeah, someone showed up with food. <laughs> should end the story. <laughs> um, but when you go, and there's so many stories like that, you know, walk, walking in our life for cars and things that we've needed, but, you know, and we're not in that stage in our life. We're, we're in a different stage in our life. But the point is that when you see God operating as you attach your faith to the promises, then that grows in your life. We're, we all, I don't know if we ever will be able to get to a place where we would ever not believe that God can take care of us that way. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to, say I can't I'm I don't know what the future is but this is what I believe in my heart I can't get to that place because I've already seen him so faithful so many times in so many ways and so attaching my faith to the promise my, my faith to the promise is at a different place now and it's in other things and it's rarely my faith my, my faith attached to promises are rarely promises for me anymore. He's kind of taking care of all that. My faith for promises are attached for others. I, I, I want to believe God to do things, you know, in other people's lives. I, I pray regularly in that direction, attaching my faith to those things. Now, now it says... Getting back to the, the text here, verse 18. Who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith. Now, I question that. Of course, I'm arguing with God, but he's always going to win. But I question that. He, he says, he was never weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver. You're thinking, what are you talking about? At the promise of God through unbelief. What well, was this little thing called Ishmael? Ishmael. That's when his wife, who could not conceive, came to Abraham and says, take my handmaiden and go into her because she can, you know, bear us a child. And he did. I think that's kind of a waver. I think he wavered. And yet, God's word says he didn't waver. Is God just kind of looking at the good side of things? What? Here's, here's what I believe it is. God responds to our greatest point of faith. See, yeah, there was a time when he was wavering. But there was a time when Abraham, the promise, it became settled in his heart, and he believed. And you know what? God looks at that and goes, man, that's a man of faith. See, see God is always looking. I believe God is always looking for the opportunity 
to give you what your faith will attach itself to the promises of God to. He's looking for that. And all you have to have is a moment of it. A real moment where you really attach. See, you could be wavering, you can be doubting, you could be having problems, but if you'll just attach, if you'll just, oh, if you'll just put aside those things and you trust, because listen, the thing that's keeping you from trusting the promise of God is you're not considering the one who's giving the promise. You, 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 you're, you're not considering that the one who's given the promise has all the abilities to accomplish it. And one of the reasons is because you prayed prayers, and I am say you, because usually when I say you, it's because me too. And so that's how I know it's you too, because we're all like this. You prayed prayers where you told God how to do what he wants to do. See? So... My God shall supply all your need. Now, Lord, if, you know, if you could just give me the numbers to that lottery ticket, you know, or just guide my hand that I'll do the, you know, I'll get that one right. And then I could have so much money. I never have to worry about or bother you again about this. That you, I won't even bother you on this. See, we, what we'll do is we want to tell God how to do what God's promised to do. And then when he doesn't do it the way we tell him or we want him to, we, it's, you know, we pray, you do it, do it this way, then we think God has failed us in the fulfilling of what we pray. Well, we prayed and we told God how to do it instead of just accepting however you want to do it, God. And that's where we make the mistake. So we have all these, these lists of things that we've told God how to do it and he hasn't done it so we give up. We give up on the promise. Some of you have children that that's happened to. You've told God how to do it for your kids. And this is what I want because, God, you've made promises that my children will, will, be, will grow up loving you and knowing you and, and all that. We, 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 I have this promise, so I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your household shall be saved. I, I'm trusting God for you to do that. Now, Lord... Lord, deliver them from that boyfriend or that girlfriend or whatever it might be, right? We, do, we tell him how to do it, and then when he doesn't do it the way we want him to do it, then we think God hasn't answered and isn't fulfilling the promise that he's given us. But God gets to make the decision how it's done. He understands the whole process. Abraham was trying to do it himself. Abraham decided that at some point God is not getting it done. Because if God was getting it done, he would have got it done 25 years earlier when he first told me he was going to do it. And he hasn't done it. It's been 25 years. And Lord, it's way too long. So obviously you want me to do something about this. So I'm going to take the handmaiden even though God promised it would be through Sarah. And I do it myself. But the problem wasn't that Abraham needed to get help in this. The problem was that Abraham was still in the wavering place in his faith. And the thing that he should have been working on was not helping God out but he should have been working on increasing his faith to trust the promises of God. And, and how do you do that? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You take the promise, listen, you take that promise and you rehearse it. You take that promise, you take that word and you listen to that word, you hear it, you speak it, you let that word permeate your being because that's the promise of God. So that so settled in you, doubt is dispelled. When doubt is dispelled, now you're in a place that God can produce what he's wanted. I don't think, I do not believe that God want, needed to wait another 25 years for Abraham to get. He needed to because Abraham wasn't ready not because God wasn't ready. I don't think a hundred 
years old was in fact the optimum year for Abraham. I believe that Abraham's faith needed to get ready to the place where God could bring forth the fulfillment of that. So now, though his faith is not wavering, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Now, I would add this, that it does use the word unbelief and not doubt. And there is a huge difference. A huge difference. Doubt is something all of us face. Unbelief is a choice. It is a choice not to believe God. And so we come time, sometimes in our life and there are certain things we will not believe God for. Now I want to know, I mean the first and foremost, the most important thing is, is a person, are you going to believe in the promise that God made that through his son Jesus you have salvation and hope? Because if you have come to the conclusion in your heart that you're not going to believe that, and that's the choice you make, it's not just a doubt then you're in a pretty hopeless place until that changes in your life. So he says, he was, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So his faith was strengthened. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. I love that phrase, fully convinced. Because that's where faith meets the miracle, fully convinced. I'm fully convinced. There are a lot of things I'm believing God, there are promises I'm believing God for. Not all of them I'm fully convinced. I would like to. I'll confess, I'm still confessing that promise before God, but I'm not always fully convinced. And he says, and, and therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness <laughs> he believed God and he got the promise he got the promise the miracle but he also got the promise of righteousness that came through Jesus Christ today in this room people watching too some of you are just trying to grasp a promise some of you have, you have worries and fears. And, and if you don't attach your faith to a promise over that fear, you'll be tormented by it. You're just going to continually be tormented by it. And the only way out of that is to attach your faith to a promise that has to do with whatever it is. There are 7,000 of them in the Bible. And, and you, you, you need to start looking for promises. It is so easy today. It used to be if you want to look for a promise, you have to get the, a strong concordance out with thousands of words and look at alphabetical order and look at the different things and look up the scripture. Now you push a button on your computer or your phone and you can find promises, the promises of God by hundred. And you find those promises. You, you look in the context. You don't want to just grab things, but you look in the context of the promise. You, you, you see what the requirements, if there are any, they're the premise to the promise. Usually it's you're a believer. That's enough. And now you attach yourself to what God says he will do. And you don't let go of it. You rehearse it. It, it says about Abraham that it says, but was strengthened in faith and look at this, I'm going to close with this, giving glory to God. See, when his faith was strengthened, what did he start doing? Praising God. Yeah. Lord, thank you. Sarah's going to have a baby. <laughs> his laugh was a laugh of faith. Sarah's was a little bit of doubt. But we, we know the story. 
when I'm a baby. Oh, thank you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Give you glory, Lord. That's what we do. We, we, we attach our faith to the promise, and then we start thanking God for what he has promised. You say you think in advance. You don't wait until it happens to think. Oh, no. Oh, no. When you start thinking in advance, your faith grows. You, you, you have the promise, and you don't have to have the, you know, the outcome of the problem. You don't have to have the miracle before you thank God for it. In fact, waiting for then is a slower process. You start to thank God before you get the answer to the promise. You start thanking God in advance. You start thanking the Lord for what he said he's going to do because what he said he's going to do is enough. That's all you need. You don't need to see it because you walk by faith in your life. So some of you are right in that place. You've got a promise. You're believing the Lord. And maybe for you, it's time to start thanking God in advance for it. It's starting to let your faith go to the next level. Because you're not to be weak in faith. You're to be strong in faith. If you notice, Jesus on several occasions would turn to someone who had faith that was in, a, in an exceptional way and says, we've not seen such great faith. Th- this is great faith. What is great faith? Well, it's a higher level of faith than what is the average. Great faith. Let's aspire to great faith in God's promises. Not for everything. We're not a name it, claim it just because I said it. Not, that's not what we're proposing. We're proposing attaching our faith to promises. It's something, if you're a Christian, you've already done. You've done this. You attach your faith to the promise that was made in Christ Jesus for your salvation. That's how you became a Christian. You've already done this. Why don't you expand it a little bit and see what God will do? You can do it. You've done it. Well, Father, we thank you that we can, Lord, we can, we can lift our hearts and our faith unto you, O oh God, because your promises are real. And Lord, because you've made promises to us, because you've said, Lord God, that you would be there for us, you would provide everything for us, that you, Lord God, would take those things that, that no weapon formed against us is going to prosper, that Lord, as we face, Lord, the, the, the challenges and the, 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 um, the, the sickness and the de- dealings with things in our life, that Lord God, you are bigger than all those things. You're our, you're our healer, you're our deliverer, you're our provider, you're our everything. And Lord, the promises that you've made for us and for our children and our children's children, Lord God, we establish in faith. And so I I just want to invite you. I want to invite anyone who's never taken that step of faith yet to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I just want to say to you, there is a promise given. It's called the good news, the gospel. And it's that Jesus died for your sins, he was buried, and he conquered death. And he did that for you. And if you'll put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you'll trust him, he promises to cleanse your soul completely from every sin, and in fact, adopt you into his family, you become his, you become completely whole, Heaven is your home, and uh, eternal life with the King of kings and the Lord of lords is all yours. He did it already. So just accept it. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. Cleanse my soul. I choose to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now I'm just asking, how many of you have a promise 
that you're holding on to that you need to thank God for in advance. I mean, if you want to do that, you can stand with everybody else as we just worship the Lord and give praise.
Overflow room on the left as you guys exit. Cause I will.